We've had a lot of casualties of crime in our neighborhood. Let's talk about South Beach. Holiday weekend crowds. A crime crackdown on Miami Beach. We will throw more police, more code officers at this challenge. But we must acknowledge that it's just not sustainable. I don't feel like we're doing enough. We're grieving for our community. What they did in Texas was interesting, and I haven't really been able to look at enough about it. Is Florida next? A bounty for um, women who are seeking reproductive health care to restrict legal abortion. I think our chances are really good. It's an extremely emotional experience. Sacred objects in Surfside, what to do with them. We wanted to make sure that we got all of these items when they were in the best shape they were in so we can preserve them for generations to come. The Memorial Wall, gone but not forgotten. It's all live this week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin this holiday weekend with a line in the sand. The crime and the consequences in the tourist district of Miami Beach seems to be at a tipping point with residents calling for heads to roll and entertainment venues clapping back against the mayor's call to eliminate that district. This weekend, in the wake of that appalling murder of a young visitor from Colorado who was having dinner with his family in Ocean Drive, that resulted in the assignment of 40 additional Miami Beach police officers on patrol in the district, supplemented by 10 Miami-Dade County cops. Local 10's Trent Kelly joins us live from Miami Beach to start us off today in real time. Trent. Well, Glenna and Michael, you guys have seen just how wild things can get out here on South Beach during these long holiday weekends. While it is still early in the weekend here, so far, though, for this Labor Day holiday, things do seem to be going pretty smoothly here along Ocean Drive. As you mentioned, though, police have stepped up their patrols out here, specifically within the entertainment district. And so far, those increased present, that increased presence does seem to be making a difference. Crowds gathering in South Beach. It's like a big playground. As partiers pack Ocean Drive for the long Labor Day weekend, so too are police. Miami Beach officers now conducting more patrols following a recent spike in violent crime, including a young father, Dustin Wakefield, shot to death on Ocean Drive last week. So far, 40 officers have been reassigned to patrol South Beach, plus another 10 Miami-Dade officers to be added every single weekend. There's also more code compliance teams, along with homeless outreach and sanitation groups and more park rangers. The mayor of Miami Beach calling this the highest level of policing ever seen in the entertainment district. This year alone, we have arrested 3,154 people in South Beach. The added patrols, just the latest effort to make the area safer for both tourists and year-round residents. Would you come back? Yeah, of course. And those stepped-up security measures are in place not just for the Labor Day holiday. We're told they will remain in effect here in the entertainment district through at least the end of this year. Reporting for This Week in South Florida from South Beach, I'm Trent Kelly. Glenna and Michael, back over to you. And we appreciate that. Thank you, Trent. Thanks, Trent. The future of the entertainment district is, as you would expect, the subject of a heated debate. Josh Wallach owns and runs Mangoes, a very popular club on Ocean Drive. Mark Simulian is a Miami Beach City Commissioner. And to both of you, welcome. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us on a holiday weekend. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. Uh, 
Uh, Commissioner, let me ask you, Dan Gelber, the mayor who is out of town this weekend, but the mayor believes that the entertainment district needs to be essentially rethought, wiped out, and begun again, something new uh, and, and less violent and more friendly to all the citizens of Miami Beach. Do you agree with him on that? Uh, thank you, Michael and Glenna, for having me uh, this morning. Just for context, Miami Beach is a resilient, amazing community and a global draw for residents, visitors, and businesses. They come for our beaches, restaurants, architecture, and these positive trends are increasing, as we say. That said, public safety is job one for local government, crime is a real issue, and our residents deserve better. Mark, now, can I, Commissioner, you... can I interrupt you for just a moment? And we appreciate sure. the pep talk, but Michael's question sure. was... Do you support the mayor's call to eliminate the entertainment district? I do. I think Mayor Gelber has shown uh, very strong leadership. I believe the current environment in the entertainment district is unsustainable, and I do believe and support the mayor's call for fundamental change. Right. Josh Wallach? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Josh Wallach, uh, let's get you into the conversation here. Obviously, you and a lot of other people on in South Beach have created a world famous iconic brand but the brand has been tarnished so how do you get the luster back what are you going to do well thank you very much for having me this morning guys um, let me just tell you something clean and safe is a basic right in the city of Miami Beach it is something that is fundamental ABC blocking and tackling a commercial district like this shouldn't just rely on basic services. So the enhanced police presence is going to be very welcome. Seeing cops again is going to be very, very uh, great for our, our visitors and our residents alike that will see the police presence, the boots on the ground that we've been, we've been lacking. I don't believe, and this has been going on for years already, that we should be blaming the businesses that actually created the international stardom of Miami Beach for these uh, issues that we've been having the last several years. Okay, but the same, the same safe. question to you, and, and just in the interest of, we pack a lot into a little time mm -hmm. here, so in, in the interest of that time, the, the mayor's making a big push. You heard your commissioner is one of the people supporting him, and there are others, to get rid of what is called the entertainment district because of the absolutely undisputable increase in crime and mayhem and chaos and now murder. So make the case, if you would, why would you support keeping things in place? We, I would support keeping things in place, but enhancing the services, Glenna. We need to have a business improvement district in place with an executive director that knows that's boots on the ground so that the city doesn't have to deal with every little thing. We need to have uh, cops on the street that people can see. We need to have off duties back in the venues. We need to get rid of this block party and all the pot smoking that's going on everywhere, creating this street party. Okay, that, that's the dynamic that's changed recently. All right, well, so, no, hold, hold on, hold on, Josh. Uh, Commissioner, let me bring you in. You know, what Mark has just said is pretty much what you and the mayor and others in the city have said. Let's have more cops, let's have more code enforcement, let's have more park rangers, and that is what you're doing, isn't it? It absolutely is. I, I think a number of the points Josh made are right on. I support a business improvement district. I'm delighted that we're having the presence of our police, more visible policing, 
and they are going to have our full support and encouragement. I want more off-duty police as well. But that said, I still think we have a fundamental issue in the entertainment district in South Beach. You know, there are 120 plus places that have the right to stay open till 5 a.m. I don't think we need that much. I think we need to diversify our uses for residential office and not have the focus strictly be on entertainment and drinking till 5 a.m. So, Josh, hearing that the uh, and knowing that the most recent horrific murder of a young father in from Colorado happened 630 at night, which is essentially daylight in the summer on a Tuesday, not even a weekend. How do you respond to that? And I'm going to a, a bonus question on that. A place like Mango's it, it have a cover charge. It's not cheap, frankly, to eat and drink and dance there. How do you as a business hearing that? function well what's going on around us is not you know mangoes is one one business we can't control the all the streets of on in the entertainment district that's the city's responsibility and we've tried to come together to create a business improvement district to create a clean and safe environment with enhanced services which is something that has not been able to be accomplished which is why we're on a merry-go-round talking about this over and over again Gun violence is on the rise in America, and that is not just specific to Miami Beach. But I will say that the city of Miami Beach has to police, has to get the cops out on the, out on the streets. And then the city also has to look at its budget of $330 million and the fact that revenues are down 25% and, and all the costs are up. And we're going to be running a $25 million deficit per year projected by the city's own budget in the next three years. Yeah. So they have to turn this around. They, 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 there are things that have to be done that have to be, have to turn around what's going on here because we can't keep falling down the same slippery slope. All right, well, I, we will ask the commissioner to respond in just a minute, but let me ask you, Josh Wallach, uh, about something that Commissioner Samirlian just mentioned, and that is, uh, I'm really kind of astounded. I thought that maybe it was 50, but 120 uh, bars on in the entertainment district have licenses to serve drinks until 5 a.m. Let me just ask you at Mango's, which I've been to, very nice place, a lot of fun, good food. Uh, what is the, how important is the profit or the revenue you get between 2 a.m., which is when the license calls for a lot of bars to stop uh, serving drinks? What, how much revenue do you get between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m.? Michael, I, I would like to uh, respond to that, that Miami and Miami Beach is, is a special destination within the United States and within the, the entire world. People don't even go out to dinner until 10 o'clock at night in Miami. And so it, it, it happens to <laughs> Well, the to Brazilians be don't, night. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to be a, a late night cycle where people go out and then they, they, they want to kind of go around town, Ubering around and everything like that. So if you, if you have areas of the city that are open, you know, to, to, the, to the wee hours, which is what it's really Miami and that whole vision of Miami is all about, okay? And then you have some areas that are shut down early. People just won't go to those areas and you're gonna create an economic depression. We already have a real estate depression on areas like Lincoln Road where it should be thriving. We have a real estate depression on areas like Washington Avenue where it should be thriving. So we need to look at, at, the, at the, the, the whole picture, not just one thing. Policing is so important and I really take my hat off to the mayor and, and, and city manager and, and Commissioner Mark Samuelin for, for pushing for more cops. But that is just one slice of the pie. We have to run the business of the city of Miami Beach 
And that includes revenue so that we don't have to increase people's property taxes by an order of magnitude Josh, to make up for these deficits. Josh, good, good point um, there. And I just, before we go to break, I just want to make the point that our discussion here can apply to every single South Florida community that is trying to balance as, as a tourist destination mm -hmm. with its quality of life as, as residents. So that said, uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back uh, right after the break. Stay tuned. We are back with Miami Beach Commissioner Mark Simulian and Mango's owner Josh Wallach. I think Mango's has a longer name, but everyone knows Mango's Club on South Beach. Talking about uh, how to balance residents, quality of life, and what is going on the rising crime rate in that district. Uh, Commissioner Mark, I want to start with you. The police presence that is being called for and that is badly needed has some people, and in the past, and especially a Memorial Day weekend, complaining about South Beach looking like a police state. Mm -hmm. So how can you as a Miami Beach leader dictate proper law enforcement uh, and not appearing to be a police state while people try to enjoy South Beach? Thank you for that, Glenna. It's a balancing act. We clearly do not want to have a police state in place, but at the same time, we need to put public safety first. So I fully support the efforts by our city manager, Alina Hudak, to have this show of force. We need to address crime. And I'm also grateful for County Mayor Daniela Levine Cava and the support that the county is giving. So we will strike the right balance. We will continue to welcome tourists and visitors, but public safety has to come first. And I want to ask just a follow up question, uh, and I'll give this one to Josh. Uh, we've heard residents saying that they literally demand a redefining of South Beach. What would that look like? to you mm -hmm. and and how to how does mangoes and the other clubs fit into that well that, that's a very very i mean that's the sixty four thousand dollar question there and it's going to be layers there's it's like a lasagna there there's there's not one silver bullet for this there's going to be layers of of you know upzoning certain properties there's going to be layers of more police of off duties coming back of, of different things you can do sort of on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball to create a South Beach the way that we had it 20 years ago. But go, we can't go back in time, we can only go forward. And right now, we need to get clean and safe back. That has, to me, nothing to do with the businesses other than if a business is, is in violation of code, they should be dealt with uh, singularly. But right now, the streets need to be safe. There needs to be cops. There needs to be people walking the beat and the businesses should be able to hire yeah. off-duty officers again the way we yeah. used to have it. We, we understand. Uh, Commissioner, let me ask you, um, obviously you, your fellow commissioners, the mayor, city manager, Alina Hudak, very capable person. I mean, you're all working on this nonstop. Are you going to have a special commission meeting to just uh, focus on this topic in the near future? And will Miami Beach residents ever get a chance to weigh in at the polls? Um, th thank you, Michael. We absolutely will be having uh, a couple different special meetings focused on this topic. There is nothing more important to our commission than me to address this. Our residents absolutely will be heard. And of course, they will have the opportunity to vote for commission members and the mayor. 
in November, and also on a referendum question, uh, a straw ballot as it relates to 2 a.m. versus 5 a.m. Again, I do not believe 120 locations in South Beach is warranted open till 5 a.m. And I think that sends a message that uh, we don't want to be sending. And that message is that it's an all-night party, anything goes. Our future is live, work, play, our arts and culture. And there's a lot more to Miami Beach than that. You know, I, I want to pick up on that because the marketing of the image of Miami Beach and so many places around around South Florida used to belong to Miami Beach and the businesses. When we talk about the heyday in the 90s and the mm -hmm. models and the movies, the, the image projected in marketing was really controlled by the businesses and by the city. Now it's controlled by social media. Commissioner, do you feel like you've lost control of that? I do believe, Glenna, that you raise an important point and that social media plays an important role, sometimes to the good and, and frankly, sometimes to the challenge. But we as a city with our partners in the county have the opportunity to communicate and we are going to be communicating about positive programming, family-friendly, resident-oriented activities and our focus on public safety. As I like to say, Everyone's welcome in Miami Beach as long as they play by the rules. And we have a larger police force to make sure, try to make sure that they do. Josh Wallach, uh, great to speak with you. I'd only point out that I spent New Year's Eve 2000 right around Mango's, had dinner there because we were all on assignment thinking something terrible would happen. Well, 11 years later, uh, it did. Uh, but thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you both. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank right. you for having us. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, next, can it happen here? Should it happen here? As an extremely strict law on abortion in effect in Texas, and right now some Florida lawmakers are already planning to pass a similar law, others are fighting back, and that's next. This week, hours after the Supreme Court declined to block a new restrictive abortion law in Texas, Florida lawmakers announced the move to pass something similar is already underway. And as of Wednesday in Texas, abortion is against the law after about six weeks of pregnancy, but that is not enforced by the state itself. The law deputizes citizens, any citizen, who can sue anyone who performs a unlawful abortion or even aids and abets in one, and that bounty hunter can collect up to $10,000 plus legal fees. Senator Lauren Book was one of the first Florida lawmakers to respond in opposition to any Florida bill, calling it an all-out assault of women's rights. She is a Democrat and the minority leader in the state Senate. Um, before we get to you, Senator Book, just to make mention, State Representative Anthony Sabatini, who said he will file a Florida version of that Texas abortion law, was also supposed to join us, uh, but just in the last couple of minutes is suddenly unavailable. We hope he is okay, and if he can hear us somewhere, please do call in. That said, Senator Book, great to have you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. Uh, Senator Book, uh, explain why you are so intensely uh, emphatically against any kind of a Florida version of this Texas abortion law. Any attempt to do what has been done in Texas is a complete all-out assault on women's rights. Make no mistake about it. Uh, women will completely have lost 
any right to choose what happens or have any autonomy over their own bodies. Most women don't even know that they're pregnant before six weeks. And again, in this Texas law, there is no, no consideration for sexual assault, rape, incest, and none of it. Um, it would also basically allow for a quasi-police state deputizing citizens, as you said, to commit vigilante financial justice on healthcare providers who want to care for their patients and give them the utmost care that they need. Um, and so any attempt to do that here in the state of Florida will be fought with fierce, fierce, fierce opposition, and we will do everything in our power to stop it from happening. Okay, so the, the Supreme Court decision this week, five to four, did not do anything about the constitutionality of the Texas law. The justices did not opine on whether the law was constitutional at all. It was merely a decision that it was procedural. They, they could not preemptively block a law when it was filed that hadn't even been on the books yet. So it's a procedural vote that really doesn't address the meat of that law at all. Is that something that makes you step back and say, okay, well, let's, let's watch and see? No, in fact, I have spent the last several hours, um, the last several days um, watching hours and hours of testimony that happened in Texas. And this was drafted to do just this. They went out to ensure that women would not have access to abortion care. Let's make no mistake about it. They even called them tiny Texans. Um, and when asked about the, an exception for rape and incest, they said those tiny Texans don't deserve to be hurt because of the, of, of the, the bad actions of their fathers. Um, let's make no mistake about this. This is simply to, to take away a woman's right to choose. And I know that we would all agree that um, it's essential for women to have equity in this place, that her decision be equal to that of a man, and her decision when it comes to her body be the controlling um, factor. And impeding that choice is disadvantaging her for her sex. And that is what this seeks to do, to control women um, and their lives. Yeah. Senator Book, we should point out that in Florida, as I think almost everybody knows, but let's put it on the record, uh, a legal abortion has been legal since the Roe decision in 1973. And in Florida, the, the law says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, that uh, when a, a fetus is viable outside the womb, then abortion is illegal, generally about 24 weeks. Uh, and once again, what the Texas law says is that a heartbeat, if you can detect a heartbeat at six weeks, uh, then a, a, an abortion is illegal. And that's what is proposed by Representative Sabatini and uh, others. Uh, as a matter of fact, Senator Wilton Simpson, who leads your body, said that he wants to work on a bill that would do that. To me, it is um, beyond the pale when you think about men um, just sitting there coming up with these great ideas for how to control women. Most women don't even know that they're pregnant by that point in their pregnancy. Um, unless if you have irregular periods, there's no way for you to know that that's the case. Sometimes a pregnancy test won't even show that you're pregnant at that point in time. So let's call it what it is, an all out ban on abortion. And we know that one in four women seek, um, seek an abortion at some point in time in their life. And that is their choice whether it's um, because of incompatibility with life, uh, IV, an IVF procedure, or 
because it just doesn't fit in life or there's a rape or an incest involved. That is a woman's right to decide. And we are taking that away from them. Also, let's talk about that um, complete and total, I mean, lack of consideration for rape and incest is to me as a survivor of sexual assault, something that is more cruel and unusual than any punishment on the books today. And nobody seems to be paying attention to that issue either. And I cannot understand how that is something we are contemplating in today's modern society. So this, um, as, as you exemplify, per first person, this debate for decades involves choice and ethics and women's health. Um, what I want to do is drill down into something that is very interesting in this Texas law, and that is the enforcement of it, and, and Michael alluded to it in the, in the lead into this. The, the law is not about crime, it's about a civil action by any Texan that has nothing to do with anything to bring a legal action against an abortion provider, uh, a, a Lyft driver who delivers a woman. I mean, it, it's a pretty stunningly broad enforcement action. So let's flip that script a little bit. Does this then mean in Texas that any citizen can bring suit against anybody else for any other law that they decide they want to enforce? And can you take that into the future in a Florida law? To me, this is beyond comprehension, really, when you think about it. It is really creating a police state, deputizing citizens to commit this vigilante financial justice against healthcare providers from providing the care that their patients need or are seeking. Um, and again, a stranger, um, it could be a somebody who sexually assaulted a woman, their parent, their guardian, somebody that they know. It doesn't matter who you are. You can bring this cause of action up to $10,000. Even somebody from outside of the state can call that in and file that, um, that, uh, that procedure in court. And it will completely and totally prevent yeah, doctors is, from providing the care for we, patients. We understand there's nothing like that in any other okay. state. Uh, Senator Book, uh, on Thursday, I went to West Palm Beach had a chance to ask Governor DeSantis, uh, does he support this law? Let's listen to what he had to say. What they did in Texas was interesting, and I haven't really been able to look at enough about it. They've basically done this through private right of action. Um, and so it's a little bit different than how a lot of these debates have gone. Uh, so, so we'll have to look. I'm going to look uh, more significantly at it. Uh, Senator Book, uh, the governor seems to be sort of hedging his bets here. He's not saying, I support this. I just want to look at it a little bit more. How do you read his comments? You know, I think that um, the governor, it's, it's sort of interesting because he's normally very gung-ho on, on, on some of these things. Um, but, you know, I'm looking to, to both bodies of the legislature who are and have given every indication that this is something that will move forward. And so um, my, my caucus, our team, and people from all over the state and, quite frankly, the country are mounting their, the 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 charge to go in and prepare for the fight of our lives because that is what this is a fight to control our life a fight to control our freedom my daughter's freedom women's women's reproductive health care and justice um, so that's what we're preparing for um, whether the governor seems lukewarm or not um, it's very clear that the speaker and the president and feel very strongly about this and so we are um, getting ready for battle I just want to throw out there that on the campaign trail, actually in the Republican primaries for governor, 
Uh, then candidate Ron DeSantis did say he would sign a heartbeat bill. Those were his words if he were elected. Um, Senator, can somebody be pro-life and pro-choice at the same time? Yes, actually. My rabbi put out a wonderful statement as we're getting ready for the new year. I'm pro-life because I care about little Lauren Book, who was sexually assaulted at 11 years old. And if I were to have gotten pregnant, the trajectory of my life would have been thrown off. And I am pro-Rebecca, pro who wanted nothing more than to be pregnant, but had an egg topic preg pregnancy, and they needed to end that pregnancy so that she could live her life. Her life. We are, I believe, we are, we believe that women should have that right to choose and that their lives matter and that they get to make those decisions. So while I know it's not the typical answer to that question, I thought how profound that we are giving women the choice of their life for their life. Because I can tell you as a survivor of sexual assault, as a mom and as a woman, my life, my daughter's life, and the women who live in this great state have a right to decide what happens in their life to their life. And so I think that that is a balance. Senator Lauren Bork, we are delighted to speak with you. And for anyone who is watching and saying, where's the other side of the argument? As Glenna said earlier, we tried hard, lined up State Representative Anthony Sabatini, and he disappeared. So we'll have the discussion again, and hopefully with him or somebody else on the other side. But to you, Lauren Bork, thanks very much. Thank you, Lauren. The laid-back Florida Keys is getting a little less laid-back about COVID protections. An alarming rise in COVID cases has Monroe County setting some new mandates, and we're going to talk about them with the county administrator. We all love the Florida Keys. They are a real hotspot, and that's a good thing, but... Not so, uh, a good thing when the hotspot is a hotspot because of COVID-19, as it has been for the last few weeks. Roman Gestesi is the Monroe County Administrator with us live today. Roman, great to see you. Great to see both of you, and uh, thank you for having me, and welcome. Roman, welcome back. Always good to, to see you. So sort of give us the update on this surge in COVID-19 cases in Monroe County. What do you... How many are there? Because the New York Times says the, uh, that there were 719 between August 22nd and September 4th. Boy, that's a big number. We, we really have had a big numbers, big surge in the last few weeks, like you mentioned. Uh, but that's the bad news. The good news is that the numbers seem to be trending down, stabilizing, if you will. And we certainly hope that trend continues. Now, of course, we're worried about you know, after all the holiday weekends, we seem to see a jump in cases. So we'll see what happens in about a couple of weeks now. But uh, things seem to be stabilizing. We had a better week this, this week. Um, I think folks are, are finally starting to get vaccinated and, and see what's going on uh, and protecting themselves better. So hopefully that trend will continue. Yeah, that is actually a statewide trend. But um, as we've seen last year, the trend of cases goes down. Still, the hospitalizations lag, the fatalities lag behind that. So it's still a really tenuous time. But Roman, what's interesting about the live and be free keys is that for the first time, you now have a mask mandate in county hall, county facilities. Uh, the school district there is the only school district in South Florida that does have a parent opt out, so is not fighting with the state over that. 
So um, any plan to really get tough and close the borders again? Or how, how, are, how are the keys handling the current well, hopefully, situation? Well, hopefully, like I mentioned, that things are looking better. So I don't, I don't think we're going to get there, but it's, it's certainly on the table. We don't want to do that. Nobody ever wants to do that again. Um, but as again, if this trend continues and things continue to improve, folks keep, can continue to, to do the right thing. I don't think we'll ever get there. So that's what we're hoping for right now. Yes, like you mentioned, the Board of County Commissioners voted to uh, require people to wear facial coverings inside all the county buildings, uh, libraries, building and permitting uh, facilities. So it seems to be working. And this applies, by the way, to visitors, to all visitors uh, and staff, regardless of vaccination uh, status. So um, it seems to be working. Again, we'll see what happens here in the next couple of weeks uh, after this uh, you know, uh, long weekend. Yeah. Uh, Roman, let me just ask you, having once uh, had a, a, a home in the Keys, I know how famously independent people are down there, the conks. Have you had anybody sort of say when they went into a county building, you're telling me to put on a mask? I'm not going to wear a mask. I mean, have you had some pushback? Uh, you know, I haven't heard of any, to be honest with you. It's, it's only been a couple of weeks, so uh, I think folks are understanding. Folks see the numbers, you know. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, very independent, the, the pirates down here. Well, one thing that they have is common sense also. So when they see the numbers rising the way that they were rising, I think people started to react. Um, and you have the organizations that, uh, that are voluntarily canceling or postponing events, uh, like the organize, organizers of uh, Key West Fantasy Fest. They have canceled the parade in the street fair. Yeah. And, and Michael, I know you know this, and certainly uh, the, both of you know how important that, that event is, but it's the right thing to do. It's the prudent thing to do and uh, they're, they're acting accordingly. Michael was so bummed when Fantasy Fest <laughs> was canceled. So Roman, the, I was the real- <laughs> looking forward to marching down Duval Street. In costume. Yeah. So Roman, the, um, the, the real serious uh, situation is usually with the hospitals nor north of the border. You know there have been some, some really um, tense moments here in the last couple of weeks with hospital admissions and resources. And in the Keys, the uh, hospital, census and the capacity is so much lower. Uh, speak, if you will, how, how that's doing. Have, you, have the hospitals needed to transport any patients to Miami-Dade hospitals? Are they resourced? Are they holding? They're, they're holding their own. Uh, you know, we use a stoplight, the green light, uh, yellow, and then a red light. Um, most both, We have three hospitals. Two are on green light. They're green to go. And then the one down in Key West is a, is a yellow. Uh, they have a little concern, but the most biggest concern, which a lot of people have, is staffing. Uh, and they are a big organization. I think they have over 60 hospitals throughout the southeast United States. So they can bring in folks from other hospitals, and that's exactly what they've been doing. Um, so they're, they're fine. We're monitoring. We talk to them on a daily basis, not two or three times a day. Um, and and they're, doing, they're doing a swell job. Yeah. Um, Ramon, uh, you know, I did, uh, Roman, I'm sorry, I did check the New York Times dashboard, and I saw the toll of COVID in the Keys has been really uh, high. 90, about 9,500 cases since the uh, pandemic began, 52 deaths. Uh, I mean, it's really a tragic situation. I'm sure you have people who work for you, friends of yours who have had COVID-19. Uh, nobody has escaped. Absolutely, as a matter of fact, uh, it's well known that one of our commissioners right now, uh, Mike Forster, Anybody that knows the restaurant in the Upper Keys, Mangrove Mike's uh, owner, he's in a hospital right now in, in, uh, in Miami-Dade, and uh, he's been in, in, the, in 
intubated and he's uh, he's fighting he's fighting as best he can so no it's it's definitely hit home for all of us and you know, we just have to be careful and get through this last you know hopefully what is their last spike we always appreciate you. We value our Keys peeps who are <laughs> valued part of our viewing audience, and um, we absolutely wish the best to uh, ban man Mangrove Mikes. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to I just say that I remember that his facilities do a lot of the feedings of people who need to be fed. I'm, I'm very serious when I say, um, you know, we're, we're thinking of him and you, and, and we appreciate you being with us today, as always. Yeah, Romy Gustafsson, thank you. You are a friend of the program. We appreciate thank it. Thank you. The Wall of Memories and tributes to the victims of the Surfside condo collapse. That is now gone from Surfside. Those photos and mementos are on their way to a more permanent place in history. We'll tell you about that next. task completed this week near the site of the Surfside condo collapse as that memorial wall where so many passed by to remember the victims was dismantled. But it is not down for long. The items are now in the custody of History Museum and Executive Director George Zamanillo is here with us to explain what comes next. George, welcome. We're glad to see welcome. you. Welcome. Great to see you both. Thanks for having me. Uh, first, let's talk about how carefully your staff dismantled that wall. I saw that you had like five trucks out there, a lot of people. Uh, that was a sensitive task. It definitely was. It was a systematic process. We had a crew of six or seven people out there making sure that we documented every step of the way. We photographed each section and cataloged each item as it came off. You know, when that started, that wall was started, there was a young man named Leo Soto who mm -hmm. actually did this as at the beginning it was almost like an art installation he was a, a friend of one of the victims he hung photos and strategically placed flowers and then it just blossomed into what it was at the end H how did you decide to take custody of those things um, was Leo involved and were the families consulted yeah Leo was instrumental in, in, in assisting us uh, Miami-Dade County had reached out to us uh, a month ago, and, and we were facilitators. We, were, we wanted to make sure we were out there to uh, preserve these items you know, against the elements and for life. And we, we co coordinated with the town of Surfside, with Miami-Dade County, and with Leo to help us to do that. Uh, George, tell us about where they are now and what are the plans to display them, keep them in the future? Well, right now we, we have them all packaged in, in their storage facility uh, and our goal is to just to be ready this may serve for for display in a future exhibit they may be used in a memorial uh within in the town surf site hopefully in the near future uh, but our goal is again to protect the items make sure they don't get damaged any further from the elements it's hurricane season so we're always worried about that and it's also because this is the way you preserve the stories right we tell Miami stories and the only way you can preserve the legacies of the, of the, of the victims is to tell those stories through these items. I, I was actually just going to ask you about that because at the wall, for anybody who hadn't been there to go by, uh, there were absolutely photographs of the victims. Um, and then there were teddy bears and candles and things that you would see at a memorial like that. But then there were some 
personal items as well. And it, it almost looked like the victims, friends, and families attached some, some really, um, I want to say, compelling personal objects. Mm -hmm. And so many of, well, so much of it was destroyed in the building. And then that, what was found, a lot of it was returned to the families. So give us sort of an inside look of what you're seeing. What are some of those items and mm -hmm. how, how do they tell that story? Yeah, you, you see the, the photographs, uh, you know, still missing photographs and those items. You see the teddy bears, you see the toys, um, some soccer jerseys, um, and some items that were brought over by the firefighters uh, from the collapse site. So it's very emotional, it's very traumatic when you're out there and you're, you're seeing these items, you're collecting them, candles, rosaries, it's a variety of items and they're very personal and a lot of messages left by friends and family to the victims. What, what are some of those messages? Can you share those with us? Yeah, you know, when, you, when you're out there, you realize this, this memorial wall was uh, really maybe closure for some people. It's a source of healing for the community. So you'll see some personal messages to their parents and grandparents that were lost. Um, just, you know, it's, it's really sad. It's a, a very traumatic experience, like I said, and very emotional to be out there even collecting these items. So I can't even imagine what it'd be like for the victims, uh, families and friends. Um, so that that's sensitivity. You know, when we're doing our work, we got to make sure that we're paying, we're respectful and we're making sure that all these items are preserved. Yeah, well, History in Miami is such a wonderful institution. Admire the work that you do there. Uh, let me ask you as a professional in this business, uh, the power of that memorial wall was just immense. If you saw it, you were touched by it, you read the messages and saw it, uh, it will never have the power somewhere else, but just the, the things themselves, the objects they carry, the objects that were placed there uh, will have value and will have power, won't they? They definitely will. You know, sadly, we're living in an era where these mass traumas, both natural and man-made, they're occurring, occurring at an alarming rate. And in our, in our museum and museums find themselves in a situation where we need to act and we need to serve the community and make sure these memories are all preserved. So when you go out there and, and you experience this and you see this, you see how important it is, not only for the survivors and the families, but for the community to, to build that healing process. Where, where is, where do you have these objects right now? Physically, yeah. where are they? They're our museum. We have storage facility where we keep all our items and climate control and make sure they're preserved under the right temperature, humidity, and make sure that some of these items dry out because they were under the elements for a long time. They were wet. Uh, we'll monitor them, make sure they don't have any mildew, mold, uh, and, and do any preservation that's needed to make sure that they, they last forever. Yeah. Well, we are grateful that they are in your safe possession and being preserved and will be seen in the future. So, George Zamanillo, thank you so much for being with us, and thanks for your good work. Thank you. And thanks to all the families and to Leo Soto who were involved in all of that. And um, we'll be watching what happens. For now, stay tuned because we will be right back. As always, we are grateful you decided to spend this hour with us. We have a lot going on here, so remember we are online 24-7 always at local10.com. And once again, as always, remind you, stay informed, get involved, have a great Sunday and a great Labor Day weekend.